This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. I'm glad to see you here today. It's going to be a good service. You've got to realize I've already been through one service, so I'm ready to go. It's going to be really good today. If you need a Bible, get your hand up. We really, really, really encourage you to get into the Word. I know some of you click with a phone, however you choose to do it. Make the Word of God a practice. See, it's one thing to know the Word of God, and it's another thing to obey the Word of God. So we really, really highly emphasize you getting in the Word of God. Once you get a Bible, go with me to to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, you saw the title there. We are talking about Matthew the tax collector today. Now, if you've been with us here, the first week we talked about John... Last week, we talked about the Samaritan woman, and the big thing with the Samaritan woman was she gives her life to Jesus, and then you saw a woman that had a transformation just incredibly, where she had an extreme makeover, but one of the big things that stood out with me last week was when she gave her heart to to Jesus, salvation didn't stop with her, and it's not supposed to stop with me and you. That Jesus is meant to be shared. And that may be in your everyday life. That may be at your workplace. Some of you need to understand this. Your workplace is a mission field. And you're the salt of it. So we go this morning to Matthew 9. Now I'm going to tell you right now. Put a, put a marker in Matthew 9. Whether you have a tassel, a pen or something. Because we're going to go from Matthew 9 to John 3. And then we're going to go back to Matthew. So we're going to go back and forth to Matthew 9. We begin Matthew 9, verse 9. And pastors in Mark 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. Saying. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Now, Matthew wasn't his given name. His given name was Levi. His apostolic name was Matthew, and Matthew literally meant a gift from God. But understand this, that when Jesus takes notice of Matthew, he's sitting at a desk in the tax office. Now, to give you just a little bit of insight to start, the tax collectors were viewed as bad people. They weren't liked at all. But it's interesting to me that here this man who could be hated by society... Jesus noticed him. And Jesus notices me and you. And he doesn't notice me and you in a negative way. He notices me and you in a good way. He's got his eye on us. Now I heard this joke and there was a man who, he had uh, watched this home for several days. And he knew when the people were there and weren't there and so he broke into it. He was a thief, and so that night he's walking across the living room floor, and he hears this, Jesus is watching you. And so he stops and gets real still, but he can't hear any footsteps. So he proceeds a little farther, and he hears it again. Jesus is watching you. He stops. He decides, I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and crawl, and he does it again, and he hears Jesus is watching you. So he takes his little flashlight out, He begins to scan this living room, and up high in this corner is a parrot. 
And so the thief goes to the parrot and says, is your name Jesus? And the parrot said, nope. My name is Claude. And the thief looked at him and said, what fool would name his parrot Claude? And the parrot said, the same fool who named him Jesus. And he looked down with his flashlight and it was the largest pit bull ever birthed. Now, a lot of times as human beings, that's how we viewed God. That God is out to get me. God's not out to get you. Okay? And please don't ever tell your children, if you do bad, God's going to get you. God's going to get Don't do that, okay? God loves people. And the point in, that, in, in telling that story was this. That God loved Matthew. And that God loves you. Now, hold your place right there. Turn with me to John 3, and we're going to come right back to this. But I want you to see a passage here that I believe will will help us understand God's love for every one of us. John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus into the world to reject us, Or to pass sentence on us. The message says that he didn't send Jesus to point an accusing finger. To tell the world how bad it was. Keep reading here. But that the world through him might be saved. And so the reason God sent Jesus for everyone. It was to save us. That the the verse before that John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world. That he didn't hate the world. That he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. Now, go back to Matthew 9. And we're still in verse 9. So he sees Matthew sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Jesus invites this sinner to follow him. The different translations, they talked about a tax collector as... They were hated, they were viewed as scum, they were thieves, they were cheats, they were morally bankrupt. But yet Jesus still, right here, invites him to follow. Now in the New Living, he said, follow me and you'll become my disciple. To a tax collector. Why would Jesus do that? And you got to understand this. When we read this passage about Matthew, a lot of times we look at, at Matthew's life at the end. And we see this was a man who wrote a book in the New Testament. A man who lived for Jesus. But understand this, he hadn't always been that way. At this time in his life, he's a tax collector. He's a sinner. You know what that tells me? We got hope. Every one of us in this room, we got hope. So Jesus right here says, follow me. Back to verse 9. So Matthew arose and he followed him. Now understand this. Matthew chose to respond to Jesus. He didn't have to. And no, Jesus didn't look at him and say, listen, buddy, if you don't respond to me, I'm going to send you to hell. No, Jesus comes to us and he says, respond to me. He will not force you or me to respond to him. And that's what he does right here. Now, another interesting point of this is 
Jesus didn't look at this tax collector and say, go get your act together and then come and be my disciple. No, Jesus said, just come how you are. And that's how every one of us in this room need to look at it. Jesus isn't, he's not unaware of what he's getting with you and me. It's not a mystery. He knows what we're get, he's getting with us. But he still loves us here. And so Jesus is telling him, leave your life the way you know it and come and follow me. Now when you study this right here, the tax collector job was pretty prestigious because of the money they made. Matthew himself was a Jew that was hired by the Romans to be a tax collector. So for Matthew to leave his job as a tax collector and follow Jesus, this was a great commitment. It was a huge commitment. It was an all-in commitment because once he left to follow Jesus, he couldn't get that job back. Now, the first four disciples that Jesus took, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all fishermen. Fishermen in their society wasn't real prestigious. Actually, it was a low-end job. And so for those four to follow Jesus, it wasn't a greatest commitment because if they would have followed Jesus and, and fail, they could have always gone back to fish, but not Matthew. So it was a great commitment for him. Verse number 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Whose table and whose house? Matthew's. Jesus went to Matthew's house. He went with Matthew's house to dine with him. Now keep watching here in verse 10 what takes place. That behold... Many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So Jesus goes to Matthew's house to eat and to dine, to hang out with him. And Matthew invites these other tax collectors and these other sinners. Now two questions jump out of that. Number one, why would Matthew do that? And number two, why would Jesus agree to do this? The reason Matthew invited those tax collectors and sinners to come with him, those were his friends. Those were the very people that he had done life with them. And Matthew began to understand, as bad as he needed Jesus, so did his friends. And Matthew didn't want his friends to go to hell. And Matthew began to understand that if you get people around Jesus, Jesus will change them. He'll change their hearts. And just as Matthew began this process of, of a transformation and extreme makeover, he wanted the same for his friends. And you know what I really believe happened? His friends got around him and they said, What happened to you? You used to be a thief and a cheat. What's up with you? And so right here, you begin to see in here, Matthew wanted his buddies to come to know Jesus. Now hold your place right there. Go back to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I talked about this just a minute ago. But I want you to see what happens with Matthew. Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew's brother came casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John. And in the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Now, it's interesting that Jesus called all these ones, and he said to them, follow me, the exact things that he said to Matthew. But when Jesus spoke to these fishermen, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So you know what takes place with Matthew? When he follows Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of tax collectors. Of other sinners. Because once again, even in this passage, the gospel wasn't meant just for Matthew. It was meant for us to share. And many of you must understand again, one of the greatest places for you to be a witness is where you work at. One of the greatest tools of witness often is your lifestyle. People will begin to see that. So go back with me to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees, which were the the religious leaders, when they saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation says, Why does he eat with, with such scum? Now the religious leaders right here, this is how they viewed these people as scum. And it goes to show you right here why a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Because if you're the poster child of how a Christian's supposed to look, and that's how you view me, no wonder why people don't want to be Christians. And so it becomes very apparent here, these guys weren't friendly. They weren't accepting. And they really had in the back of their mind, they were perfect. They weren't. And so the, the religious, they miss a great point here. They have the thought that Jesus and the church isn't for sinners. Jesus and the church is for us righteous. And their view of this was, if you hang around with the dirty, if you hang around with the filthy, you're going to become filthy. Listen real close. It's not about me not being around the sinner or the filthy that makes me clean. That's not how you become clean. The only way you become clean is through the blood of Jesus. That's it. It's not hanging around with other people. And there's people in our society right now will say stuff like this. I don't want my kids being involved with that group of people. I don't want my kids going to church with that group of people. But understand this. When Jesus got around the sinner, it wasn't for Jesus to chime in and sin with them. Jesus got around the sinner because he was going to influence the sinner. He was going to be the light to them. He was going to love them and embrace them and show them. Here's a great question for you today. Do you wear Jesus cologne? Or do you wear Pharisee cologne? You know what Jesus cologne says? I love all people. I love every person. 
Pharisee cologne says, I'm very selective to who I love. For 18 years of my life, I worked for a utility company. And when you talk about utilities, whether it's water, your gas, your power, your video, your audio, all those are put in an easement which is normally in an alley. So to work for a utility company, every day you're in the alley. Now the alleys I worked in, there were clean alleys, there were dirty alleys. There were good alleys and there were bad alleys. There were certain alleys that I wasn't allowed to go into without another person because they were so bad. And in those bad alleys were people. People that a lot of people didn't ever want to see or be around. I begin to see the drug addict. It was not uncommon for me to see syringes every day. The wino. The homeless. The prostitute. And the question arose to me one day. If those people died. Would anybody even miss them? Would anybody even know? And when I would get in those parts of the city, there would become a, a distinct smell upon those people. Just because the life they lived. So fast forward. And I become a pastor. And I'm speaking one Sunday. And it's a very similar setting to this. And I see this guy walk in. And really the only person that sees him walk in is me and the ushers. And he's dressed in a wardrobe that you can tell he's had a tough life. Probably everything he owned is with him. And I watch him. I watch him walk right all the way across there while I'm speaking. You know, it amazes some of you what I see when I speak. Sometimes I can't see your face, but I see movement. I remember we used to have a couple that would come to church. They'd sit back here in the back. And they were passionately in love. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'll go ahead and tell you. And I'd be sitting here speaking, and I'd look back there. And I mean, they would be in a lip lock. They would be going at it. I mean, going, it was tongues and interpretation. And I'm going to tell you, they were going at it. And I would tell my staff, and, and some of them, especially Miss Ramona, who used to work here, has moved to Amarillo. She, she kind of insinuated that I was lying. And I said, I'm telling you the truth. One Sunday, they sit right in front of her. And she goes, oh my gosh, Pastor. And I said, man, they are in love to do that. They are in love. I mean, when he would walk by me to leave after the service, I'd look at him like, you the man, buddy. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Back to the story. You guys get me off and telling stories so... I see this guy, and of course, in my pastor, quote, quote, mind, I know after the service when they said he wants to speak to me, that he needs money. He needs money for gas or transportation. He needs money for food. He needs a place to stay, buy me a motel room. And so he comes walking up to me and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, absolutely. And he said, 
I need that Jesus you just talked about. And this guy does this. He shrinks me. Almost like I melt because I prejudged him. And I walked and I got real close to him. And when I got close to him, I remember that smell. That smell that I learned to love in those alleys. And he smelled of of a dumpster. He smelled of sweat. He smelled of not bathing. He smelled of urine. And this has marked me for my whole life now. I heard Jesus say, I died for that smell. I died for that smell. And this is what I sense with Matthew. I don't want my friends to go to hell. Hold your place there and go with me to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. And we've got to see some scripture here today, guys. That will help us to understand not only the extreme makeover that John had, but I believe God wants to do an extreme makeover in us. 1 John 2. Way back there in the back. If you've gone to Revelations, you've gone too far. Verse 15. It says, do not love the world. Now, a lot of people would stop right there and say, see, the Bible says don't love the world. But keep reading. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. So literally, when John wrote this, He wasn't saying don't love the people of the world. He was saying don't love the things of the world. And in verse 16 it gets over to what the things of the world are. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he goes on to say at the end of verse 15 he said. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So Jesus, he wants us to love people. And to understand The things as believers that were not to love the things. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you better get your seatbelt on here. Because this stuff will really rock you in certain ways. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. I wrote to you my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Don't in any way associate, don't in any way closely or habitually be with the sexually moral. And a lot of people say, see, we're not supposed to be around the people of the world. Keep reading. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world. I didn't mean the sexually immoral sinners of the world. Keep reading. Or with the covetous, who are the greedy, the extortioners, a bunch of cheaters, or idolaters, idol worships, since then you would need to go out of the world. So since then, we would need to avoid the world. And the only way I can avoid the world is to get out of this place called the world. So if this was truthful and Jesus didn't ever want me to be around the sinner, the day you get born again, we'd have a group of ushers and they'd just blow your head off so you could go to heaven right then. You don't have to be around the world anymore. But that's not what he was talking about. 
keep reading. Watch this. Verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. What does that mean, pastor? Anyone who claims to be a believer. Anyone who is born again in the name of Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Now watch this. Who is sexually immoral or covetous, they're greedy, they're an idolater, they're into idol worship, a reviler. You know what a reviler is? That's someone that's abusive or a drunkard. Now that's a good one. Now again, he's talking to believers and he goes on to say, the drunkard, the extortioner, the cheat, not even to eat with such or to to dine with them. So when I read that, he wasn't talking about Matthew's friends. He wasn't talking about the tax collectors and the sinners. He was talking to Bible-believing Christians who who have said Jesus is Lord of my life. And it's interesting here the take on this. So really what the Apostle Paul's telling me, it's one thing to confess Jesus is the Lord. It's another thing to live for him. Ow, who got quiet in this Episcopalian church? Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those who are also who are outside? In other words, it's not my business or my responsibility to judge the people of the world. But it doesn't stop there. Do you not know that you judge those who are in the inside? Now that changes the way a lot of people look at things because I know Christians that'll walk in here and if you said in a loving way to them, you're living in sin, you know what they'd say? Don't judge me or I'm going to another church. And you know what happens to them? They go to the first church, they go to the second church, they go to the third church and some are at the 18th or 19th church. Don't judge me. But yet right here the apostle Paul said, we are to judge We are to judge each other as Christians. One translation says to pass a disciplinary judgment. So is it wrong for me to go to someone who's a believer and say, man, I love you, but you can't keep living that way. No, it's biblical to do that. So look how he ends. But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves The evil person. Interesting. You're real close there. Turn to Galatians 5. I want you to see this. I didn't read this verse in the first service. I'm telling you, in between service, man, I'm telling you, the Lord started stirring me up. He said, go over these. I I want the church to see these. So watch this. Galatians 5. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lewdness. Every one of those have to do with sexual immorality. Every one of them. Idolatry and sorcery, which have to do with witchcraft. Hatred contentions, and every one of these that I'm getting ready to read have to do with unforgiveness. Jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, 
heresies, envy, and murders. Look at these last ones. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh Uh-oh. Now listen real close to what I'm going to tell you. He wasn't talking about unbelievers here. It's very clear that a person that never proclaims Jesus to be Lord of his life, it's very clear that they won't go to heaven. But he's talking to believers right here. This is who he's talking to, okay? Am I saying we got to live perfect? No, none of us have to live perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. But I must come to a place in my life where I repent of my sin. And one of the definitions of repentance is to do a 180. That I turn from that stuff. Back to Matthew 9. And I promise you we won't get out of it again, all right? We'll stay right there. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 12. And when Jesus has heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know what Jesus was saying? The healthy don't need a doctor. It's the spiritually sick. So you know what he's basically telling me and you and Matthew in this passage? You got to get around the sick. Why? When I get around the sick, I tell them who the doctor is. The doctor's Jesus. And Dr. Jesus can heal you. Dr. Jesus will forgive you. Dr. Jesus will love you. Dr. Jesus will take care of you. But you got to get around them. And so Matthew right here, he knew his friends. Just like him. Just like me. We were sinners that needed Jesus. And Matthew knew this. If I could get them in the presence of Jesus, he would embrace them. He would love them. Jesus' desire for every one of us is to have an ongoing relationship. Now listen, I'm not downplaying salvation on this at all, okay? But so many times as Christians, we focus only on the decision. You gotta, you gotta get saved. You gotta give your heart to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Is that not true, Pastor? Yeah, it's true. But there's more to it than that. So many people receive Jesus as Lord of their life, but then they go back and they live like the world. So many people receive Jesus as Lord of their life, but they don't advance spiritually. You know, the analogy of that is, it would be like getting married and say, all you got to do to have a great marriage is a wonderful wedding. Knock it out of the park on your wedding day, and from then on, it'll be wonderful. Now, every one of us in this marriage know that's not true. So what's the key to being married? You do life together. You become one. How does that happen? By fellowship and day after day after day. Year after year after year after year. And remember in your vows you said something like this. Until death do us part. But what about my relationship with Jesus? See, Jesus wasn't meant to be hit and miss. 
He never intended for me to come in here on Sunday and act like a saint and then Monday through Friday live like the devil. No, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to love us. And again, we become just like Matthew. We're a work in progress. How many of you can say right now, Pastor, I'm farther along right now than I was a year ago. You can be truthful with yourself. If you're not, you got to say, listen, Jesus, I'm not into dating anymore. I need to be married to you. I need to give you my all. So we go to verse 13. You guys didn't know we were going to be on Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13 the whole morning. But go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. Now listen real close. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The word mercy there in the Hebrew literally means a loyal covenant love extended to others because it has been experienced in one's own relationship with God. Now to really get a hold of that, everything I just read is cross-referenced into the book of Hosea. If you study the book of Hosea, you'll begin to see God wants to have a relationship with me and you. He wants us to fellowship with him. He wants us to hang out with him. God loves us, guys. So he said, get this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Amplified says, a readiness to help those in trouble. The New American said, a compassion, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So guess what you just did? You just saw a man named Matthew. An extreme makeover. And the reason I talked about this, because so often in our lives, we've got this thought that all these guys, they were these pure, righteous, holy guys that never did anything wrong. No, they were men and women that did things wrong. But when they got around Jesus, there became a transformation. And you literally witnessed an extreme makeover. And that's what happened right here. He was a work in progress. How long did it take? Well, I know this. He was with Jesus for over three years before Jesus really started plugging him in. He's a work in progress in your life if you'll just keep fellowshipping with him. So let me tell you what happens here. Not only does Matthew go to heaven, but these other sinners and tax collectors, they go to heaven. And you know what I believe will happen? They will say one day, we gave our heart to Jesus because Matthew invited us to dine with him. Matthew's desire was to share Jesus with these guys. Two points here. Number one, Jesus still saves the tax collector. I don't know where you're at today, but I will tell you this. He's aware of you, and he's still in the business of saving. And number two, Jesus still uses tax collectors to advance his kingdom right here on earth. Saying, he wants to use you. He wants to use me. Guess what? We become his hands. We become his mouth. 
We become his heart the way we love other people. So there's a couple invitations I want to give you today. Number one, if you don't know Jesus is Lord of your life, he may be dealing with you right now. Just as Matthew responded to him and said, I'll follow you, that's the decision some of you have to make today. And it can't be my decision. It's got to be your decision. You may be here today, and you may at one time or another receive Jesus, but you know in your heart this morning you've run back to the world. You need to rededicate. That's okay. He loves you. He wants you to come back. But the third thing, and I believe this is for every one of us in this room, do you need a touch from God to see people the way he sees them? Do you need a touch from God to see people through Jesus' tears, through his eyes? I do, guys. I'm telling you, there's times in my life my heart gets hard where I have this thought. It's just about me. It's just about me making a living. And it's very easy as Americans to get this whole hum feeling like, oh, we have it so hard. Do you need some Jesus cologne today? See, I'll tell you right now, I do at times. I need a fresh anointing back on me just to say, Lord, I have a heart for people. Now, I will tell you this. If you ask Jesus for Jesus cologne, you better get ready. Because he's going to start crossing your path with people. Even people at Walmart. You guys who go to church, you know what I mean. I, I don't despise Walmart, but it's tough for me to go there. Test my patience. Jesus loves people. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.